just a quick announcement for you parents of high schoolers and high schoolers. We will be doing a youth group meeting tonight at 5.30. I think it was announced earlier on our website that it was being canceled because your youth pastor is a little under the weather, but the backup team is going to come in and help out there. So there will be youth group tonight. Spin. Please join me in prayer, and then we're going to turn our attention to John chapter 16, which is going to be a marvelous text teaching the church about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, it is to you that we come asking that your spirit would do the work that your son promised he would do for us as we open up your word together, as we come before you as redeemed people under your grace, under your mercy, under your sovereign care. We need your help. We need your helper. We need the spirit of truth that will guide us in the knowledge of Christ, our walk of faith with Christ. And so we humbly come this morning in prayer asking you to minister to us as you've been promised to do through your word. You are a faithful God, and we know that you'll be faithful to your church. Help us to be faithful in our attention this morning as we give ourselves, our thoughts, our hearts to you in the study of your word. I pray that you'll grant me the ability to speak correctly and well on the things that are before us so that together as a church community, as a church family, we're going to grow in the likeness of Christ because we've come under the ministry of your precious word, which teaches us about the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. And may he be praised in our lives because we've gathered in his name this morning. In Christ, I pray this. Amen. John chapter 16. And if you begin with me in verse 5, we're going to read down through verse 15, but our text of study will be 12 through verse 15. John 16, verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sins, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, and therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. I think one of the troubling things that we are witnessing in our present generation is what I think of as a rather major movement in our nation is that nothing seems to make sense that we do as a people that are really no longer united. We lack common sense. We lack a reasoning ability almost in the decisions that are being made. The chief argument here sometimes is that we protect innocent life, and yet we pass laws that extinguish the most innocent of life. Our culture has for many decades attempted to give women an advantage because men have dominated them, and rightfully so in many regards. And yet, now we're looking at a movement where men can declare themselves to be women and then can compete against women. There are all these kind of hypocrisies and these these things that don't make sense. They're not reasonable. We're looking at a major self-esteem movement that's been going on for many years. And the big push today is that we're teaching our young people, just be satisfied with who you are, be content with who you are, but then we celebrate when we want to change our sex because we're no longer happy with who we are. These are the kind of conflicts that we are witnessing in our nation. We're a very troubled and mixed-up people. We're living in a growing violent culture, to be sure. And yet we're calling to cut police departments out of our nation's cities. These things don't make sense to us. And sometimes the loudest voices in regard to this violence comes from Hollywood, who happens to make their big paycheck 
on representing violence. And very often, the most popular of violent movies and TV shows are cop shows, are they not? And the cop hero happens to be the one that breaks the rules and roughs up the, the, uh, the, the people that want information out. None of this makes sense in light of a culture that is now pushing to remove um, the police departments that would otherwise protect us. Without question, the one thing that is of great need in our world today, and especially in our own country, is the knowledge of truth. Just the understanding of what truth is and where it comes from. But our world cannot even agree on what truth is and where we may look to find it. Scripture tells us that all we need to do is look at God's creative handiwork and we can see the truth of God. His glory is evident in what he's created such that even the passing of day and night, as was read this morning, is revealing to us the knowledge of God. But though his eternal power, his divine nature are clearly seen to all, man continues to look for any foolish theory that replaces God with an accidental source for our existence. And God's word tells us that as time moves on, things in this world are going to grow worse and worse. Men are going to call evil good, and the good they will call evil, even hating what they call good, according to what Paul writes to Timothy in his second epistle. Truth is desperately needed, and men desperately need to live by that truth. Unfortunately, this can never happen unless it comes to humanity. The knowledge of truth comes to humanity as a work of the Spirit of God. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ promises to his church. It's only to those who are redeemed by God and who are drawn by him in faith that any man can come to know the revelation of his truth. This is the work that the Son of God has given to the Holy Spirit. That's our study this morning, to look at this Spirit of God that has been sent by Jesus Christ to help us with this understanding of truth. This is the work that the Son has sent him to accomplish. And again, he is referred to in our text before us as the spirit of truth. Now, in verse 12, which is where we're going to begin this morning, we see a gradual revelation of truth that Jesus taught to his disciples. Jesus had been telling them of himself. He had been telling the disciples of his work, of why he came. And he says, I have a great deal more to say to you, but you just can't bear it right now. And in the context of this passage, he means that he has more truth to teach them. But he adds, they can't bear it because they can't take any more of it. And here he has spent over three years of personal one-on-one -on -one ministry with these 12 men, teaching them and showing them his divine power, his miracles over nature, over the demonic realm, over weather systems, over human frailty and infirmities. He's taught them much about truth of himself and of his salvation. The disciples had witnessed his divine attributes. They'd seen how he confronted the false religious knowledge of the Jewish leaders. So it's hard almost to imagine that there are many more things that the Lord has on his list of truths to share. But as verse 12 indicates, Jesus has many more things to say to them, but they can't bear it. Now, the Apostle John does not explain to us what Jesus means by that word bear, that they cannot bear it. You look at the beginning of chapter 14, their hearts are troubled. You look at chapter 16 and verse 6, sorrow has overcome them. So Jesus could be saying there's so much grief and heaviness on their heart. I can't give you any more because that will take you into an even darker place, which could be spiritually destructive to them. It could mean that. But more likely, what Jesus means, and this is given by the context itself, is that the disciples would not be able to bear more revelation of truth without the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit. And we can come to this understanding because of the promises that Jesus has been making in this farewell discourse, all the way from chapter 14, 15, and here in chapter 16 as well. This is a marvelous passage that teaches the church and the believer on the ministry and the work of the Spirit of God. And we need this kind of instruction. 
We need to know who the Spirit is and what He accomplishes in us. And therefore, men and women would need this presence of the Holy Spirit to guide them, to guide us in the truths of salvation if any of us are to understand and to believe. Now, as evidence of this, even the greatest religious men of the day, those who were experts in the Old Testament law, could not accept or tolerate the truths that Jesus had been teaching, though his teaching had come directly from where? God himself. These men of God could not recognize the handiwork or the fingerprint of God in the ministry words of Jesus Christ. Why? They couldn't bear it. It would require the spirit of Jesus Christ to open up any man or woman's heart to see and understand and believe these things. And for this reason, Jesus would send his spirit who would abide with his people forever and who would live within them as we've seen in the previous teachings of our Lord. The objective of the spirit will be to bring even more truth to the disciples than they were able to receive from Jesus while he was personally with them, teaching them for three years. And he, the Spirit, would not only bring more truth to them, but he would enable the believer to accept and apply the truth. The Spirit would come, and this is what we've seen in our studies so far, beginning in chapter 14. The Spirit would come to them to be a helper, helping the disciples, the people of God, to walk in obedience and faith. Chapter 14. He would enable them to remember all that Jesus taught them. Chapter 14 and verse 26. He would empower their witness in the face of opposition or persecution. Chapter 15. And here in chapter 16, he would bring conviction to them. And he would convict the world through the disciples of Christ. Now Jesus promises that his spirit, when he comes, will guide them in the whole truth of the Savior And of his salvation. What is amazing in all of this is that this knowledge of the truth could not be taken in by the disciples while Jesus spent the last three years with them. It would require the sending of the Spirit, it would require the indwelling presence of the Spirit for them to fully understand the whole truth of the glory of Jesus Christ and his gospel. They were not able to bear it. And they would not be able to until the Spirit came to be present in them who would cause them to be vessels that could understand, could communicate, and could conduct themselves in the truth of God. And it is the very same with us today. It is the Spirit that is needed to guide us in all the truth. And it is because of the presence of the Spirit within us today that the church can say we hold the whole truth of God in Christ. We hold that truth. I love the expression that Paul gave to Timothy as he's pastoring the church in Ephesus. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Paul said, I'm writing these things to you, Timothy, hoping to be able to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, The pillar and the support of what? The truth. We as a church are the pillar and the support of the truth. And it's not because we're super smart people. In fact, we're super stupid people when it comes to the truth of God apart from the Spirit. It is because of the indwelling of the Spirit that we can be that pillar and support of the truth. What this shows us is that even the disciples, on account of sin, were not able to receive the truth of God. It came to them gradually as Jesus enabled them to bear it, him personally walking with them. But, he adds, I can only do so much here. You need the indwelling of the Spirit. It would take that presence of the Spirit to receive and accept God's saving truth in its fullness. And Paul makes this clear. I'd like to turn our attention just for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul had been writing to the church in Corinth. And he'd said of the Jewish community and the Jewish leaders, the, the Pharisees, the experts in the Old Testament law, 
that if they could possibly have understood the truth, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But they did crucify him. Why? Because they didn't understand the truth. They had no comprehension of what Messiah was commissioned to do when God sent him to this earth. And so they crucified him. But then he turns his attention to the church in verse 10. And he says, for to us, God revealed those things through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit that has been sent to us. How is it we can know the deep things of God? Because the Spirit knows God the Father. Verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we, the church, have the mind of Christ. Again, it's not because we're brilliant people. It's because we have the spirit of the living God within us. This is the blessing of the church that Jesus is talking about here in John 16. And so Paul is affirming exactly what Jesus is teaching his disciples in John 16. When the Spirit comes upon those chosen for salvation, he reveals the deeper things of God's salvation in such a way as to cause faith and sanctification to occur. Yet even the world, with all of its resources and all of its intelligences, its sciences, its books, its universities, they cannot comprehend these things no matter how well they may read the Word of God. In fact, as Paul writes, the things that are revealed by the Spirit in his word are foolishness to the unregenerate world. This is highlighting the privilege that we have as believers. And if you're not a believer this morning, we're hoping that you see the wonderful glory we can have as believers that is given to us by Christ, the Spirit of the living God. And what this shows the disciples or showed the disciples is that Jesus gave gospel truth to them gradually, knowing they could not bear the full truth apart from the ministry of the Spirit. And it's just as true for any of us today. I think many children that hear the gospel, especially those that maybe are raised in the church, and even sometimes adults, when they hear the gospel message, seeds of the gospel are planted. But sometimes it is later on that those seeds sprout. Why? Well, because in and of ourselves, we can hear the gospel. We can maybe even acknowledge the truth of the gospel. But it's not going to take root until the Spirit comes to us and opens our minds to understand, to comprehend the truth. We're going to witness baptism this morning at the end of our service. And because of our church being a baptizing church, I get to meet with a lot of folks that come and say, you know, I heard the gospel when I was a young person. I made a profession of faith, but then I lived the next 10, 15, 20 years apart from Christ. I came to a point where I had to acknowledge I need Christ as my Savior. They gave themselves in repentance and faith to Christ, and they say to me, you know, I was baptized back then at 8-year-old when I made a profession. Should I be baptized Again, and of course, you know my response. You're not going to be baptized again. You should be baptized for the first time as a believer. That is often the case in our testimony. We may hear the gospel early on, and those seeds may be planted, but it takes the nurturing of the Spirit. It takes the experience of being born again by the Spirit, the gifting of faith by the Spirit, for us to understand the full truth of Christ. What a blessed ministry we have as church men and women. We've been given this awesome revelation 
And we may receive that revelation gradually at first, but the day will come if we've been chosen for salvation, when the Spirit will come, He will open our minds to understand and He will feed us the truth that we need to hear. And this brings us to verse 13, where Jesus said, this is what the Spirit will do for you. This is what He brings to the believer. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak and will disclose to you what is to come. Now, clearly, this verse is a continuation of verse 12, where the disciples were told, you can't bear anymore right now, but I'm going to send my spirit, and this is what he will do for you. In the days ahead, Jesus would send his spirit on the day of Pentecost, and with the coming of the spirit, these disciples would be enabled by the grace of God to receive the fuller revelation of the gospel truth that to this point they hadn't fully understood. Jesus had been talking about his death, his burial, and resurrection. But disciples didn't get what Jesus was saying. They didn't understand. They were still hoping for a Messiah of a different kind that would deliver Israel from the clutches and the domination of Rome. That the Messiah would be planted on the throne of David and would rule the nations. They didn't understand the sacrificial atonement that Messiah must come to be as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is explaining the coming of the Spirit. He would enable them to receive the fuller revelation of the gospel truth. And what is articulated here in verse 13 is really the formulation of the New Testament Scripture under the inspirational work of the Holy Spirit. We observe this from the Lord's words here, that the Spirit will guide the apostles into all the truth. Those are important words. The word all is speaking of a full revelation of Christ, His redemptive work. The truth. You notice that little word, the, before truth. It is speaking out about a specific body of knowledge about Jesus Christ and His gospel. And we know that because in verse 14, it tells us that the Spirit is going to glorify who? The Son. He has come to glorify the Son. So guiding in this body of truth, this is going to be about Christ, His salvation, His redeemed people, the instruction that He gives to His people. This is going to be all about the glory of the Savior, the Son of God. The emphasis here is on the fullness of of the revelation of truth by the Holy Spirit. In other words, He, the Spirit, speaks of the full body of the truth concerning Jesus Christ, His redemption, and His instruction to His church. Peter affirmed this in his second epistle, as we read a few weeks ago in our earlier study. Peter wrote that Jesus our Lord, by His divine power, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him, of Christ, who called us by His own glory and excellence. And that it's later in that same chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1, that Peter attributes that knowledge of Christ to the Holy Spirit who moved men to write the full body of truth, the New Testament-inspired Word of God. We find that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 to 21. We've already spent some time there in our previous study, but it acknowledges again the truth that the Spirit will provide in the written Word of the New Testament. And it's necessary to discern from this what the specific language that Jesus uses here, and we do so in conjunction with other New Testament passages like Acts chapter 1, like 2 Peter chapter 1, as we've done before. And because the written word is understood from this work of the Spirit, this ministry not only applies to the apostles, who the Spirit inspired to write that word, but it also applies to all believers down through the ages. All believers in the church have come under the guiding light of the written word of Christ. It is the inspired work of the Spirit. He has come to guide us in all the full measure of the truth about Jesus Christ. There are several parts to this that we should understand, taking that into account. Beginning with his guidance, the Spirit's guidance. 
Jesus gives to us several qualities within the truth ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the first one that we want to acknowledge is that he will guide us in all the truth. The word that is used here for guide means showing us the way or leading the way into truth. A comment by William Hendrickson in his commentary makes this point that the Spirit does not drive, he leads. He does not drive, he leads. He then goes on, Hendrickson goes on further to explain what he means in that the Spirit will exert his influence upon the regenerate consciousness of the child of God. So can you picture what this guiding is doing, what it's about? He's not pushing us. He's leading, he's guiding, he's exerting his influence upon the regenerate believer, his consciousness. And I think this is an important distinction to observe in the guiding ministry of the Holy Spirit as we apply it. Because what this will mean for us is that we should not expect any of us as believers to sit back and just pray that the Holy Spirit take over and fix me. I've got this bad habit, Lord. Work on me and fix it. I got a bad heart. I got a bad attitude toward that person over there. I have some relational problems. So I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read my Bible and you fix me. We don't want to take that attitude. Because what the Spirit has been sent to do is to lead us and guide us in His truth. That means we must be participants. Remember what it says in Philippians chapter 2. We are to work out our salvation. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God that is work in you. Because God is at work in me, I should go to work on my salvation. Not to save myself, but as a saved man, as I progress in this salvation, I'm participating with the work of the Spirit who has been implanted within me. Now, having said that, let's consider some passages that reinforce that so that you know what I'm saying is coming from the Word of God and simply not from my lips. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. A marvelous passage teaching us on the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit. But Paul writes, verse 16, but I say, walk in the Spirit. That's your participation. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. I think we can clearly see a tension that exists within each of us as believers. The Spirit indwells, but we have this flesh, fleshly nature as well. We have desires that sometimes lust for the wrong things. There is a war taking place now because the Spirit is saying, don't go there, don't do that. And Paul is saying, we as believers in cooperation with the leading guiding ministry of the Spirit, we're going to walk by the Spirit. And then what does Paul do? He goes on to write of the deeds of the flesh. Let me show you what we're talking about. These are the deeds of the flesh, Galatians chapter 5. Know those deeds because you don't want to go there. And then he gives to us what? The fruit of the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you're not going to carry out the deeds of the flesh. The world can't do that, but the believer can. Again, not because we're super disciplined in our faith, but because we have the gift of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, who is the Spirit of truth, and He's guiding us in truth. But we have a responsibility here. Another passage, Colossians chapter 3. And I invite you to go there, Colossians chapter 3. And notice what it says, verse 12 down through verse 17. Paul is giving instruction to the believer on how we act with one another, our relationships with one another. Verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness. This is our responsibility here, our participation with the Spirit. A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord Jesus forgave you, so also you should do. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and watching one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now notice this passage didn't mention the Holy Spirit. But in verse 16, what did it mention? The written word of the Spirit. We are to richly fill our hearts, dwell there, fix our minds on the word that the Spirit of God has given to us, and guess what? We will be guided by the Spirit as we walk in His ways, as we're treating one another with forgiveness and kindness and gentleness and humility. The point here is that we have a responsibility to move with the Spirit's guiding and leading. And you will find the same exhortation in Ephesians 5 or Romans chapter 8. The effective ministry of the Holy Spirit is on those believers who cooperate with His will, His guiding purposes. And we do this by immersing ourselves in His Word because He's the one that brought us the full truth of Christ. And we walk according to His Word especially toward other believers, as we see here in Colossians 3. So not only do we see the guiding influence of the Spirit here, but we also need to acknowledge, second, who this Spirit is ministering to. And this is maybe a smaller point, but very significant. The Spirit is going to guide us into all the truth. The chief purpose in sending the Spirit is to guide believers. He is our helper. And I love the words in Romans chapter 8. You can almost see the compassion of the Holy Spirit, the mercy, the tenderness of his heart towards those who Christ has sent him to minister to. The point here is that the Spirit is my helper. Jesus sent him to me to be the Spirit of truth that would guide me. He's here for me. In Romans 8 verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Are you not thankful for that? He helps me in my weakness. For we do not know even how to pray as we should, but the Spirit intercedes for us with growing, groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There is nobody that knows the heart of God like the Spirit of Christ. And here this Spirit has come to indwell me as a believer to help me in my weaknesses, and I have many of those. And they're a struggle for me. But I have the assurance Jesus has sent to me a helper to guide me in truth, to help me in my weakness, and he even intercedes for me. And there's this language that you and I cannot hear. Groaning's too deep. It goes beyond words. Between the Spirit and the Father in heaven, between the Spirit that is in me and the Father in heaven. He's there to help me. He's communicating with the Father on my behalf. And there's nobody that knows the heart of God better than Spirit. That's a good representative. That is a good paraclete. That is a good helper. And we observe here the intercession of the ministry that has the Spirit taking control of me or influencing, guiding me. Even when I'm struggling in prayer, the Spirit communicating on my behalf. And in this way, Jesus fulfills his promise to his people that he will never leave us alone like orphans. I'll never leave like that. And his companionship, it's not one of merely being with us. He is here to minister to us, to help us. On the back of your note sheet, John Calvin appropriately writes these words or wrote these words many years ago. We receive the Spirit in order that we may enjoy Christ's blessings. For what does he bestow on us? That we may be washed by the blood of Christ, that sin may be blotted out in us by his death, that our old man may be crucified, that his resurrection may be efficacious, informing us again to newness of life, and in short, that we may become partakers of his benefits. That's the Spirit's work his ministry to us. He's coming to the believer 
to do this for you and for me? Is it any wonder that in verse 7, Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. This is our advantage. It is the Spirit and what He does for us as individual believers. And third, the Spirit will guide the believer in all the truth, meaning the whole of God's Word is going to be used. And this speaks, I believe, to the very character of God in that He will provide all that is needed for our growth and sanctification. It cannot be conceived in our minds that our God would minister to us only partially, that he will only give us a small measure of nourishment for our starving souls. In fact, John opened this gospel in chapter 1 and verse 16 with these words, for of his what? Fullness have we all received. Grace upon grace. You get the image of wave after wave of God's grace to fill us up with the fullness of Christ. Our God is not going to give sparingly or partially. He gives us fully. This is the work that the Spirit of truth was sent to provide for the people of God, guiding us in all the truth. All that we need for life and godliness, as Peter wrote. Now, this does not mean that the Spirit provides all truth that can be known. But He gives us in fullness all that we need in life to be spiritual men and women, to be guided by His holiness and truth. And the point I want to make here again is God the Spirit is not stingy with us. He provides fully. Perhaps one of the most beautiful prayers in Paul's writings, I guess, might be Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. And you can follow along, but listen carefully to these words as Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. This really is a prayer for us as well. Verse 14 of chapter 3 in Ephesians, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit. Notice the ministry of the Spirit. Strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Notice it doesn't say so that you can be partially filled with a meager supply. The Spirit is going to fill us up to all the fullness of God. It is simply not in the nature of God to provide an insufficient supply of truth that is needed, where we're left to our own imagination. We're left to come up with the rest by ourselves, or we're left to turn to the world for answers. That is not our God. It's in the very character of God to give to His church fully. In fact, if you go back to Colossians chapter 2, Paul even warns the church, don't go back to the world's philosophies, their traditions, or their empty principles for life. Why is that? Well, he goes on to write, because in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. We are lacking for nothing in what Christ has provided us. Sometimes we become anemic spiritually because we're not tapping into it. We've separated ourselves from this supply of fullness. But it's not because God has been stingy with us. And the Spirit has been sent to indwell every believer so that we can partake of that fullness. Nothing has been left out. In other words, our full spiritual resource is found in the truth of Christ, all of which the Spirit was sent to guide us in. And in addition, going back to John 16, the idea of guiding us in all the truth means the Spirit of truth is not going to teach one doctrine or truth at the expense of another. He's going to give to us the full menu. He's not going to advance this doctrine and ignore this one over here. Nor is the Spirit going to come to be creative or to bring the church new revelations. The Spirit is not coming to communicate His own personal agenda. He is coming to glorify the Son. And it says here in our text in John 16, 
He's not coming with his own menu. He has come to give what Christ has provided his church in the fullness of what Christ has provided, all the truth. The Holy Spirit does not speak on his own initiative. He only speaks what he's heard from the Son and from the Father, and the Spirit will always and only minister in harmony with the Godhead. He will never lead us in a way that violates either the Father's will or that of the Son. When we can say in that sense that the Holy Spirit is truly Trinitarian, He will never operate or lead or direct us outside of the will of the Father and Son, outside of the truth of the Father and the Son. And Jesus goes on to say, everything that the Father has, it's mine too. And I'm giving to the Spirit to feed you as a church. Now, at the end of the verse, Paul says, that which is to come. And there's some that believe that's a, a reference to future things or prophecies of the future events. And while prophecies may be included in that, what is to come is a reference to the whole of the Christian faith that was yet to be recorded in the New Testament scriptures as Jesus is here presently talking to his disciples. That whole truth wasn't there yet. So what is to come is the revelation of the Spirit that would take place through the apostles as they would give, it to, give to us the church the written inspired word. And this revelation of the truth of Christ that the disciples were to learn more fully would only come as the Spirit would descend upon the church. And these truths would be passed on to the church where the Spirit continues to communicate to believers today. He communicates to you and I today through the written word. And the Spirit has been commissioned to indwell us, to guide us and direct us through that body of truth. Now we move to verse 14 and 15 where Jesus said, the ministry of the Spirit will be to glorify me. It's with these truths in mind, verse 12, 13, and 14, or 12 and 13, that we move into verse 14 and 15. And Jesus adds that the Spirit of truth comes to us in order to glorify the Son. He takes from the Son what the Son wishes Him to bring to us, and all the things from the Father belonging to the Son, these are going to be disclosed to the church. Now, again, this does not mean that we can know everything that the Godhead knows. Rather, in glorifying the Son, the the Spirit will bring to us what the Son wishes us to know and to become in Christ. And this means that the Spirit will strive to make Christ visible through His church. He will replicate the character of Christ within the believer. And this is what we mean by a believer's progressive sanctification. As we're growing in the likeness of Christ, the Spirit who is doing that work within us is doing what? He's glorifying the Son through us as we become more like Christ. And therefore, discipleship is going to be a driving ministry of the Spirit where we're brought more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And he does this motivated to glorify Christ. That's his motive. This is one sure way I think we can know that we're using our spiritual gifts properly. It's the Spirit of God that gives gifts to us, right? These unique gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, or 1 Peter chapter 4, Romans chapter 12. The identification of these gifts, what are they supposed to do? How are we to use them? If we're using them correctly, It means we're glorifying Christ. We're not glorifying ourselves. We're not promoting self. We should be promoting Christ. Is this what we are doing in the use of our spiritual gifts? Are we ministering and serving others for the purpose of making visible the very character of Christ, his mercy, his grace, his compassion? We can know that we're being guided by the Spirit when our motive is the same as his, when my motive is to glorify Christ. That's what the Spirit has been sent to do. So I know that I'm working in harmony with the Spirit when I'm serving, I'm living, I'm walking in faith to glorify my Savior. And Jesus, again, makes certain that we know that He, as the Son of God, does not act independent of the Father either. All things that the Father has are His. And the Spirit will take these things of Christ and disclose them to His people. It is the Spirit's ministry to the church to take believers deeper and deeper into the whole truth of Christ. And therefore, we're going to see Christ more clearly. We're going to see his purposes, and we're going to submit to his purposes more gladly. We're going to see his instruction, his commandments, 
And with greater insight, with joy, we're going to want to obey Christ. And the power of the Spirit, we're going to be enabled to walk in a manner that is worthy of Christ because we've come under and have cooperated with the guidance of the Spirit of truth. And when we look at the revelation of the truth of Christ found in the New Testament Scripture in this way, it's not going to matter if we're talking about the red letter of the gospel or the black letter of the epistles. It's all the word of Christ. And the spirit of truth who abides with us and who is in us will be committed to the ministry of taking the whole counsel of truth and leading us from this word, this word of truth, to become more like Christ, to serve him more faithfully, to walk with him in a manner that he, Christ, is worthy of, to minister to one another so that Christ is glorified in his church. Now, by way of this passage, and I have to bring it to an end this morning so we have time for our our baptism service as well. But I think it is important for us to see the essential ministry of the Holy Spirit because his ministry is essential to us. He was sent by Christ to bring us the revelation of the truth regarding Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And not only has he provided us with the inspired word, the written word, but he guides the believer into all the truth found within those pages, the pages of Scripture. And what this means for us today, and I've given us three kind of summary points, if you will. What is this going to mean for us today? In my opinion, looking at verse 12 to 15 of John 16, we need to learn the ministry work of the Spirit if we're going to profit from his guidance. We need to learn how the Spirit works and operates. We need to learn what He's sent to do. We need to look at the passages that have been given to us about the Spirit and know what He does within us if we're going to profit from His guidance. And therefore, we have passages like 1 Corinthians 12, the spiritual gifts, and chapter 14. We have passages like 2 Peter chapter 1, which teaches us about the Spirit bringing us the written word. Or 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2, as I read earlier, showing us the deep things of God that are only revealed by His Spirit to those who are made alive by Him. Or passages like Romans 5, 1 to 5, which shows the work of the Spirit to grow us and strengthen us in perseverance, proven character, and hope. Romans 8, that teaches us about the leading and the intercession of the Holy Spirit the character of the Holy Spirit within us. And then Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit and the deeds of the flesh that oppose the work of the Spirit. As we learn of the Spirit's work, this is where we're going to profit from the Spirit that indwells us. And I think it is quite possible that we suffer spiritual anemia because we don't study enough from God's Word what the Holy Spirit accomplishes in our lives. And I have to say, just in studying John 14, 15, and 16, I've come to realize my need to know more about the Spirit's work because this is what he's been sent into the heart of Monty to accomplish the purposes of Christ. I need to know what the Spirit is doing if I'm going to profit from his guiding ministry. Second, we need to know more fully. We need to know more fully the truth provided by the Spirit if we are to grow in his fullness. This I'm referring to as a knowledge of God's word. This is the inspired word. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. Within these 66 books, we have confidence that God has inspired writers to give to us what we need, all that we need for life and godliness in the true knowledge of Christ. And this will demand that we become good students of the word, not just reading it, but learning it and growing it, submitting to it. And in saying this, it is understood that we need to submit. It is understood that we need to submit to its authority as well as its sufficiency. This means not only obedient hearts to the word, but hearts that find the word fully capable to give us all we need in Christ for our walk of faith. I don't need to look elsewhere. It is here in the Word of God. And yes, sometimes I need other scholars and men and women that are wiser than I in the Word to help guide me through the truth. So we look at other books, or you listen to sermons, or teachers, or you go to Bible colleges. But our source is always the Word of God, is it not? The fullness 
of what the Spirit has given to us. We need to be good students of the Word. We need to know more fully the truth that the Spirit has tried it, uh, provided so that we can grow in His fullness. And third, we need to cooperate. Emphasis on that word. We need to cooperate with the ministry work of the Spirit if we're going to be guided or led by Him. We need to cooperate with the ministry work of the Spirit if we're going to be led by him, as we become better students of the truth that has been revealed to us by the Spirit, we are taught how to more fully cooperate with him and how we can resist his ministry. Just look at some of the passages that God has given to us in the New Testament scriptures. Ephesians 4 teaches us how we can grieve the Spirit. That's not cooperation. We need to know how it is that I can grieve the Spirit or resist his leading, guiding presence. And very often, as Paul writes in Ephesians 4, it's how we treat each other. It's how we speak to each other. Anger issues, a lack of cooperation, words that aren't edifying. What grieves the Spirit? You and I as believers need to know that. We don't want to resist Him. Ephesians 5 teaches us how we come under the influence of the Spirit so that we can be guided by him. Galatians 5, again, teaches us how we're to join with the Spirit in battling our own fleshly desires and walking in the fruitfulness of his guiding light. Colossians 3 teaches us how letting the word of Christ richly dwell within us affects our relationships with one another, which again is the ministry of unity worked in us by the Spirit of truth. If it is the Spirit that is given to us, that word, that body of truth, then richly dwell there, Paul says, because this is where the Spirit leads and guides. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've given to us in your word that teaches us about your Spirit. And perhaps in the church, we don't talk enough about his work. And certainly in this farewell discourse, Jesus took plenty of time and opportunity to prepare his disciples for what he would send in the coming of the Spirit. So we need to know these things. We need to know these truths. It is the Spirit of Jesus that abides within every true believer. Help us then to know the person, the character, the work, the ministry, and the glory of the Spirit as he moves and he works within us, discipling us and making us more like the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to learn these things together as a body of believers. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.